the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. Always an honor. Today is Thursday, June the 25th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. Today on June 25, 1876, Lieutenant Colonel George Custer and his 7th Cavalry were wiped out by Sioux and Cheyenne Indians in the Battle of Little Bighorn in Montana. I've been to that battle site. They have a it's all you can see there's little markers where everybody was during the battle where Custer was and uh, various other uh, individuals in that it's it's very interesting very informative uh it was a sad tale but today was Custer's last stand 1876 today in 1788 Virginia ratified the US constitution today in 1867 barbed wire yeah you know fence that was patented by Lucian Smith of Kent, Ohio. Today in 1910, President William Howard Taft signed the White Slave Traffic Act. It's known as the Mann Act, M-A-N-N Act. It made it illegal to transport women across state lines for immoral purposes. That's a quote. Today, in 1942, General Dwight D. Eisenhower was designated commanding general of the European Theater of Operations during World War II. Today, in 1947, the Diary of a Young Girl, a personal journal of Anne Frank, German-born Jewish girl hiding with her family from the Nazis in Amsterdam during World War II in a warehouse. In fact, it was first published, was found after the war. Her dad had given it to her on her birthday. I mentioned that a while back. It was her birthday on that particular day. Well, it was published today. Today, 1950, war broke out in Korea. Forces from the Communist North invaded the South. Today, in 1962, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that recitation of a state-sponsored prayer in New York State in a public school was unconstitutional. (laughs) That always amazes me how these great minds, supposedly, on the Supreme Court can come to those kinds of conclusions. It's all based on a progressive lie that started back when Thomas Jefferson's words were inverted, known as separation of church and state. But anyway, they concluded that it was unconstitutional. Any kind of a prayer would be a state-sponsored prayer, and that would violate separation of church and state, which is a myth. I'll probably talk about that a little more today if we have time. Anyway, sad. Today in 1990, the U.S. Supreme Court, in its first right-to-die decision, ruled that family members could be barred from ending the lives of persistently comatose relatives who had not made their wishes known conclusively. In other words, people who didn't have a will or who had not made a statement about, you know, should I be in this 
situation and so on. Anyway, they ruled U.S. Supreme Court today in 1990. I was reading some of the Psalms this morning, earlier, quite a while ago earlier, and uh, read a couple of verses I'd like to pass along to you today. We live chaotic times. It's just it's just hard to deal with these times. In fact, it's impossible to deal with these times if you are not in the Lord, if you don't know the Lord personally, trust in his word as God's authoritative, infallible word. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct thee, teach thee in the way that thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. And the thing that came to me just as I read this verse, I mean, it's very clear what it means, but I thought, you know, there's, I will guide thee with mine eye. When we begin to see, or maybe to the degree that we see things as God sees them, there is a sense of peace, a sense of security. The non-Christian, I don't care if they're religious or Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu, whatever, but the non-Christian, the non-believer, can look at the world out there, and it's just it's just a blurred mess. You don't know who's on whose side. You don't know who believes what, because they doublespeak. They say one thing one day and something else the next. I'm talking about from the highest leaders in our nation to people on the street. You just simply don't know what's going on. You hear one thing, you hear the news, you'll hear four different versions of any everything that happens in the news, and everything is different. That's That's the chaos we're living in. And it's never been like this in the history of the world because we've never had the channels of communication that we have today. It all started in broadcast radio. I love radio. Thank you for turning yours on this morning, wherever you are. But it all started with radio, and then came television, and then the Internet. And I mean, there's just a million ways that people get information, and it's coming at us. It's like a thirsty man. He's been hiking across the desert, and he's just about to die from thirst, and he gets finally to a fire hydrant. He turns, turns it on and he tries to take a drink out of the end of a fire hose. That doesn't work too well. I mean, that's the kind of environment when people really want to know what the truth is, and they really want to get to what's happening so they can understand it in our world today, so they lift the fire hose to their mouth and it blows their head off, figuratively speaking. I mean, that's the world we live in today. That's what's going on in our world today. But when we begin to see things through the way God sees them, and we can only do that be, by becoming close to the Lord. And it starts with a first step of accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. It doesn't matter how religious we are. I mean, that's, I guess that's fine. It's better than being an atheist or an irreligious person. But it's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That is the threshold into this life that we have. In the Lord. If you haven't made that step, I would encourage you today. Ask Christ to come into your heart. You can the Bible says if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, crucified, risen from the dead. 
If you believe that and confess it with your mouth, you'd be saved. I mean, ask Christ to come into your heart and forgive your sins. That's why he died on the cross. As a believer, then we begin to see things as God sees them. And the more, the closer we come to God and the more we know about God, the more we see through his eyes what's going on in the world. And there's great peace in that. There's great serenity in that. Oh, sometimes we get worried. I'm not suggesting you'll never get worried about things. I mean, in a crazy world like ours, everything blows up every night. Every day we get up to something new that's, you know, like almost monumental. But I will tell you, there is a peace that passes all understanding. There is a joy that is unspeakable because it's full of glory, as Scripture says. Psalm 55 says, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He will never suffer the righteous to be moved. We used to sing a little chorus when I was a kid growing up in church. I shall not be moved. I didn't know all what that meant, but I sure remember the words to it. I won't sing it for you. I promise. But I shall not be moved. Because God is not moved. If if I can leave one thing with you today, and I'm about to talk about some things that are going on in our culture today, but if I can leave one thing with you today, remember this. God is in control. Not you, not me, not Joe Biden, thank God. Not Donald Trump. God is ultimately in control. He is either in control or he is not God at all because he claims, and I believe, that he's in control. Well, I knew it would come, and it has. There's a group of Capitol, uh, Capitol Hill in Seattle. Seattle's a national news story almost every day now in all different, you know, CBS, newspapers, etc., Capitol Hill has become the country within a country. While the mayor, Jenny Durkin, I know I've said this before. I I know I'm repeating myself, but I, I want to because it's so bizarre. The mayor of Seattle has told the nation and the world on national television within the last few weeks, kind of like, don't worry about Capitol Hill and Seattle. It's just a summer of love. And she laughed. The lesbian laughed. The mayor of one of the largest, premierest, most premier, most beautiful cities, at least formerly, in the nation, in the world. Summer of love. Well, it hasn't turned out to be a summer of love because it never was. So now a capital, and I've said on this program a number of times, I've said people own those buildings in that occupied area. Somebody owns them. And those businesses are there. Maybe the business in the building owns it. Maybe not. Maybe they're tenants. But those businesses are there, and they have their, their life and their work and, and all of their effort in, invested in that. Some of you own uh, small or maybe larger businesses, and you know what it takes. I do, too. It takes a lot of work. It takes sacrifice 
to have your own business, but you want your own business. And those people are all through Capitol Hill. I'm very familiar with Capitol Hill. Years ago, I worked for a construction company when I was in college, and we worked there one whole winter in that on that hill, in that area. And so I became very familiar with it. I've never lived there. We, you know, I, I mean, I, I just know it from being there. But I met many nice people during that winter. There was about eight months or so from fall to through the winter and into the spring. And, um, man, some of those people, I mean, they've got to be hurting. And I've mentioned that several times on this program. Well, <laughs> they are. <laughs> Yesterday... They filed a class action lawsuit against the city of Seattle for, I'm quoting them, extensive harm that they faced as a result of CHOP, Capitol Hill-occupied protest. The lawsuit says that, that the, the lawsuit says that they do not seek to undermine the CHOP participants, which surprised me. I would have thought maybe some of them would have disagreed with creating a country within a country or a city within a city, but they apparently don't. But these business people are saying, and, and, you know, small business, larger business in the areas, that they they don't want to appear to be giving a, a, a different message or present a counter message. This is in the lawsuit. I'm looking at some of the words. Rather, this lawsuit is about the constitutional and other legal rights of plaintiffs, which have been overrun by the city of Seattle's unprecedented decision to abandon and close off an entire city neighborhood, leaving it unchecked by the police, unserved by fire and emergency health services, and inaccessible to the public at large. Well, all of that is true. The world knows that. The result, this uh, law firm that's uh, representing them, says the result of the city's actions has been lawlessness. Yeah, that's right. That's what we've been calling it here day after day. It is lawlessness. It's not about, really, it's not about racial equality. It's about lawlessness. The lawsuit says there is no public safety presence. Police officers will not enter the area unless it is a life-or-death situation. And even in those situations, the response is delayed and muted if it comes at all, That which is true. There's been three shootings there now, two and then another one. I think it was Sunday night, I believe it was, of this week. But anyway, there's been three shootings there. And the police were attacked when they came in trying to get to a victim of the shooting. They were attacked. Bottles, rocks were thrown at them. They were beaten back. They finally left. They were able to get the person out of there. Somebody got the person out of there. One of them died in the hospital. But residents and business owners feel unsafe in the neighborhood because of the lack of public safety assistance, the lawsuit says. It cites police's delayed response times after recent shootings in the area. Several other businesses mentioned in the class action lawsuit that they're seeing financial losses due to CHOP. And in one of the apartment buildings, CHOP occupants are just going into the trespassing on the property and defecating in the building's lobby, according to this uh, complaint. And it goes on and on. But anyway, they filed this this class action lawsuit now. So this is going to go on for a while. And it, it'll, I mean, it'll, it'll be drug out. The city of Seattle will try to somehow get out of, I mean, but it could be, 
millions of dollars. I didn't see how much they're actually asking for. It's probably in there, but I just got a good look at it uh, about an hour ago. But they will be getting a lot. Of course, the law firm will make it, be making a lot of money as well, so they'll be real motivated to get as much from the city as they can, and they probably should. This is the most miscarriage, the most unbelievable miscarriage of due process of law, of responsibility of a city that I've ever seen in my life, except in a few third, third world countries where I've been in missionary work. But I will tell you, it is amazing. It's just unbelievable what they've allowed to happen there. I want to talk to you for a moment this morning about a situation in California. It's an evangelical church. The city of Salinas has turned on the church, and they're trying to force them out. They will not allow them to meet in a building that they purchased, the church purchased. They're trying to force them out and force them to sell the building because they say it doesn't fit with the new look of the city. I want to talk to you about that because most of you probably don't live in Salinas. But what's happening there is a profile of what is could happen and is happening in other places and could happen in more places. Because this whole movement of chaos and disruption is not primarily about racial equality. I'm not saying that there aren't people on the streets that are marching and they really want blacks and whites to be equal and all of that. I mean, I do, but I'm not marching. God wants us all to be equal because Jesus Christ died on a cross for all sinners and all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is the gospel and make no mistake about that. And in my comments, this is straight talk and I am to the point as best I can be But believe me, I am fully committed to the idea that God created us equal. I mentioned the other day that little chorus, and it just sums it up as out of the mouth of babes. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And so are their parents and all of us. That's my belief. That's my conviction. But I will tell you, there are people marching the streets of this nation and burning and destroying and breaking and fighting and hurting and all of that who have no clue about racial injustice. They just know it's the buzzword. There have been now enough interviews to see that there's not only a few of those people, there are a lot of them. They're totally uninformed. They just are caught up in the moment. And it's about whatever but they get to break glass, tear down statues, fight people, see the cops backed off. I guess it would be the reverse of a summer of love. It's a summer of hate. But there is a move that is woven into that, that is bigger than that, and it has to do with a rebellion against God and the people of God. Now, you can call yourself a Christian as long as you don't act on that or try to live that out in the public square. And you'll probably be okay. But once you take a stand, and once you start to penetrate and to impact the culture, you will be resisted. Jesus, in his teaching in the New Testament, said, you will be hated if you follow me. He said, the reason 
is because they hated me first. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. So we should not be surprised. I mean, you can be, you know, kind of a Christian in name only and kind of go along and not relate Christianity to your lifestyle or certainly not to the culture. They don't, they don't really get too bothered by that. But when you begin to live out your faith in real time, you will find resistance. When you do it on the radio, you find a new level of resistance sometimes. But anyway, this church in Salinas, they grew, outgrew their other church, and so they moved, they bought this new building. San Francisco area court now has ruled in favor of the city of Salinas, who has refused to allow the church to assemble in the building. Not about the COVID-19. That has nothing to do with it. This has to do, it has to do with the fact that the church and churches in general, these are their words, the city of Salinas, don't generate any interest or little interest. In fact, they said it, I quote, churches generate limited interest. And they want high interest type things in a very declining downtown of Salinas, I might add. But a federal court in the Bay Area has sided with the city. They're prohibiting this new Harvest Christian Fellowship, it's an evangelical church, from moving into their new downtown building. They purchased from this Beverly Fabrics, who apparently went out of business, or maybe they moved to a bigger bill. I don't know. But anyway, it's downtown. The city says they have a city ordinance that prohibits houses of worship from occupying the first floor of downtown buildings. Well, it's probably true they have an ordinance, but they don't have the last word on that because there is a federal law, and I'll get to that in a moment. But they say churches generate limited interest, they do not uh, draw tourists, and therefore detract from the city's goals of vibrancy. So the way they're defining a church is that they generate limited little to no interest they don't draw tourists and they aren't vibrant and they don't contribute to the vibrancy of the culture keep that thought in mind the church purchased the property some time ago specifically they had outgrown their other building their old building apparently they are generating interest and could be drawn a few tourists ironically that part of the city is by all accounts in decline Rioters are filling the streets, just kind of a miniature form of Seattle, destroying property nightly under the guise of Black Lives Matter. Most clear-thinking people would conclude that a church in the middle of that chaos would probably not be a bad thing. But so-called progressives are never clear-thinking, because everything in their worldview, they don't see things through God's eye, they see through things through a humanistic eye. So everything is in flux and change. A true progressive has no fixed beliefs. They and their beliefs are always evolving. It is popular among progressives to not be too friendly with evangelical, biblical Christians because most of us are bigots anyway, in their mind. Hillary coined the term basket of deplorables. Joe Biden said the other day on TV, and the New York Times reported it, which put it before many more people, He said, most Americans are good people who think this nation can be improved. But there are probably anywhere between, I'm quoting Joe Biden, anywhere between 10 and 15% of the people out there that are just not very good people. 
no one asked him who that 10 to 15% would be, but to Hillary, she was talking about on her deplorables, her basket of deplorables, she was talking about conservatives who probably weren't going to vote for her in the election. So rioters are filling the streets of the city without interruption from the city, but a church somehow disrupts the city and is contrary to the vision of the city. Would the evangelical church be among Biden's 10 to 15 percent or Hillary's deplorables? Yeah, they would be in Hillary's basket. That's for sure. She said so. Well, Pacific Justice Institute, it's a California-based conservative Christian legal firm. They filed a suit on behalf of the church, thankfully. Brad Dawkins is president of the firm. He says, quote, this continues to be one of the most striking examples of unequal treatment of a church in the land use context that we've seen in the past 20 years. Well, personally, I think they'll win this case, and I'll tell you why. The Federal Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, because I got involved in this once as a pastor looking for a way to build a parking garage in a city that didn't want one. But anyway, that's another story. But that that is a federal law, and it protects houses of worship from discrimination in zoning laws. So I think that will come to bear, and I think this church will get to use their building, ultimately. But Salinas' rule is aimed at stimulating commercial activity downtown, and downtown is in decline. So why wouldn't that be a good thing? It'll bring people. This church is growing. It's quite large. Pacific also notes that Salinas deems churches as less deserving of equal treatment under the law, and they do. Salinas claims to only want a vibrant, fun zone downtown. Why have they allowed nursing homes? And there's a post office just a little ways from this. Post offices aren't usually thought of in terms of being vibrant. I mean, they're useful for sure. But it's noteworthy that this New Harvest Church has been renting a building downtown Salinas for the past, on Main Street, for the past 25 years. Excuse me, the past 25 years. So it's hard to believe that the decision and the court ruling was simply carrying out due process of the law. Clearly, there's people on that city council that don't like churches, particularly this kind. It seems like they're a very vibrant, worshipful, dynamic church growing. All of this comes to bear on the myth of the separation of church and state. Salinas is using zoning laws and city ordinances to marginalize the church, but it reveals a greater a greater urge among the left to control the church, the churches that speak to the culture, that speak to the truth, that speak God's word, light in darkness. That's common in today's America. Trump is an interrupter. He's certainly not a moral Christian leader, but he claims now to know Jesus Christ personally. But he's an interrupter. That's one of the reasons they hate him. The idea of church and state is birthed out of a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Danbury Baptist in 1802. And many of you have heard this before. But Jefferson is merely trying to explain to the Baptists who are concerned about this very kind of thing back in 1802. He's trying to explain to them, hey, look, we founders have built a wall of separation that keeps the government out of the affairs of the church. That's exactly what he said. Jefferson is the guy that saw to it that several congregations were meeting in the Capitol building in D.C. because he said nobody's using the Capitol on the weekends. How could that be 
non-constitutional when the guy that wrote the Constitution and several others were having church services in the Capitol. That's the world we live in. And much of it has to do with the weakness of the message from the pulpit. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for your support. We'll see you right here tomorrow.